Let's turn now to the Word of God reading from the Old Testament Scriptures, and we're in the book of Joshua, and chapter number 6 and 7, please. I have been very greatly harassed by the devil as I considered and planned for this meeting this morning in relation to the word of the Lord. That is not a new thing, but um, it's a notable thing, clearly. If I have got the word of God for you today, it is for some particular life or lives, and it's for a very specific purpose, and I trust that that purpose will be realized. Let's read now just a couple of verses from chapter 6 and then we'll move into chapter 7. Verses 18 and 19 of chapter 6. And ye in any wise keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest ye make yourselves accursed when ye take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. You can think of the camp in the same context as the church in the New Testament. But all the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. Then verse 1 of chapter 7. But the children of Israel committed a trespass. In the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. And Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth Avon, on the east side of Bethel, and spake unto them, saying, Go up, view the country. And the men went up and viewed Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said unto him, Let not all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand go up and smite Ai, and make not all the people to labor thither, for they are but few. So there went up thither of the people about three thousand men, And they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai smote of them about thirty and six men. And they chased them from before the gate even unto Shebarim, and smote them in the going down. Wherefore the hearts of the people melted and became as water. And Joshua rent his clothes and fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord, until the eventide. And the elders of Israel um, and put dust upon their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us? Would to God we had been content and dwelt on the other side, Jordan. 
Can I just point out to you that was the only time, the only time in Joshua's life that he complained. The only time he expressed any negativity. The only time he expressed um, discouragement. So this was a very significant and a very big thing that had just happened. Let's continue. O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turneth their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it, and shall environ us round and cut off our name from the earth. And what wilt thou do unto thy great name? And the Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up. Wherefore liest thou upon thy face? Israel hath sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken of the accursed thing, and have also stolen and dissembled. Also, and they have put it even amongst their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you any more, except ye destroy the accursed thing from among you. Up sanctify and say, Sanctify yourselves again tomorrow. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, There is an accursed thing in the midst of thee, O Israel. Thou canst not stand before thine enemies until ye take away the accursed thing from among you. Very solemn reading. May God give us an understanding in the same. Now we're going to pray together. Gracious Father, I thank you for this attempt of congregation. I know that everybody in this house today have come for the good of their souls. They've come praying. And many have been here for a period of time before the service praying and seeking God. And even as the meeting progresses, uh, there will be many in the service praying. There is a spirit of prayer in the house. And for this we thank you. We feel it. We feel it. We feel borne up by it. And we feel the heavens are opening because of it. And we feel that the Holy Ghost is hovering. And I pray that you would have your own gracious and sweet way, dear Holy Spirit. I want you to have elbow room in this service today to do whatever, whatever, whatever is in your heart to do. I pray that you would speak to me and speak through me to the people. I pray for tender open, sensitive hearts to the Word of God. I pray that we'll be like the boy Samuel of long ago who said, Speak, Lord, because I'm listening. Speak, because thy servant heareth. And I pray that we'll hear God. Not just a preacher, but God. And I pray that there'll be no mistaking what you are saying to us today in this house. Bless us, Lord, 
We pray that you would sanitize the house of the Lord and, Lord, exclude every demon, dark and wicked power that would try to harass or hassle or hinder the purposes of God. We pray for the canopy of the precious blood to be upon us, and we pray that the Holy Spirit would indeed uh, surround and hover over and work in every part and detail of the service. I surrender myself totally to you, mind, body, and spirit, as your instrument and vehicle to speak your word at this particular time in the history of your church. I give thanks as I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. My text is in verse number 10 of the chapter 7, where we read just a moment ago, the Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up! Wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face? Israel hath sinned. In essence, God was saying to Joshua in this instance, Stop praying. I want you to stop praying. And that is my subject this morning. When the church needs to stop praying. Oh, you say the church should never never do that. You've already been celebrating us because we've been praying and uh, telling us not to get discouraged in prayer and to pray more and more and more. And the churches that are not praying are sinning and they're defeated. It might sound a little bit like a contradiction, but it's not, clearly. The church needs to stop praying when there is something wrong. Something that does not resonate with God. Something that is broken and it needs to be fixed. And that is where the Church of Jesus Christ is at in Northern Ireland at the present time. There is something broken and it needs to be fixed and only God can fix it. But you have to cooperate with him to do it. Just a little aside as I introduce the topic. I want you to notice with me, if you would for a moment, the, what I've called the euphoria that was in the camp. The children of Israel were on a journey and they spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Well, we call it wandering. I guess in a way it was. They were going up and down and they were going um, in a zigzag kind of way um, in their journey. It almost seemed like they were marking time, and maybe in a way they were doing that. They were getting their food from heaven, described on occasion as angel's food, the manna that came down from heaven, very, very nourishing and an ample supply, but there were conditions. They also, when they got tired of the manna, they wanted a a variety, and God provided God provided uh, quails. They had uh, 
fowl, uh, the flesh of fowls to eat. And that was wonderfully generous and considerate of the Lord to do that. They pleaded for that. And we're told that the clothes that they wore never wore out. Imagine a suit of clothes that uh, lasted for 40 years and shoes that never, the soles never wore out in 40 years or the laces never broken or the buckles on the sandals never broke clearly. That was quite something, wasn't it? And the Lord so blessed his people that he didn't even allow their enemies' dogs to bark at them. But for 40 years, they were in the wilderness. And now it's time to get out of the wilderness. You've compassed this mountain long enough, God said, referring to the uh, Mount Sinai, the mountain of Zim. And so God gave instructions about crossing over. um, And it was a bit like the crossing over of the Red Sea. It was an absolute and an astounding miracle. God caused the river Jordan to dry up. And it was a great act of faith because the river was overflowing. It was the time of um, much rain and it was, you didn't know where the river began and where it ended. And they were commanded to take up the Ark of the Covenant, that is the priests, and to keep walking. And when they came to the water, they had to keep walking. And when they came to the edge of the River Jordan, they had to keep walking. And God caused the entire water uh, to stop, and they walked over. They went over on dry ground in this time of great floods. It was an absolute um, miracle, clearly. There were a whole lot of things that they had to do, and they, they did that. And they all came across, imagine, probably three to four million people. So there was great euphoria. And the word euphoria means um, great enthusiasm, excitement, joy, and celebrations. It was a day to remember. None of them could ever remember anything like that except Joshua and Caleb who saw the crossing over of, at the Red Sea. That generation had passed away during the previous 40 years. And then they were at a place called Gilgal, and uh, at Gilgal uh, there were various ceremonies to carry out and um, celebrations to be made and thanksgivings offered. And uh, God said, this is the place, that's what the word Gilgal means, rolling, rolling away. That word actually expressed something relating to the meaning of circumcision, rolling away. But it also had to do with uh, a new chapter opening up. God was rolling away the reproach of Egypt. You've come from Egypt and the memory, uh, at least the stories um, that create the memories of what happened in Egypt is still fresh in your mind. God is going to roll away the memory of those terrible times that your ancestors experienced. All the pain and the shame of many hundreds of years of tribulation and, 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 and hardship God is going to roll it away. He's going to open up a new chapter. And there, were a lot of, there was a lot of disobedience in the wilderness. And a lot, of, a lot of negative things that happened too as they came out of Egypt and all of that. The Lord was changing all of that. I want to say to you today, the church needs its reproach to be rolled away at the present time. There's a lot of things in the church that need to be dealt with. 
that need to be covered by the blood of Jesus, that need to be repented over. They must not be hidden or just forgotten about as if they didn't happen. They need to be dealt with. And then we need to allow God to rule them away. All the stories of rebellion and deception and sinning and backsliding and grumbling against God. There were many, many seasons of grumbling and complaining during their time in the wilderness. But I'm saying that God wants to rule away those memories, those negative memories. And I dare say there's hardly one of us in this house today, but we've got negative memories about things that have happened to us. And uh, maybe things that we have been involved in that have not been glorifying to God. God wants to give you a new beginning. He wants to put a marker in the sand and open a new chapter with you and for you and lead you forward into your inheritance. Did he not say there remaineth much more land to be possessed? Canaan was not a small corner and there was a portion for everybody. And it was a very generous and substantial portion. The rolling away of the reproach of Israel. Don't let the world stain your testimony. Roll away the reproach. Don't let the world steal your thunder. Don't let the world uh, um, affect your walk with God, your prayer life and your commitment to God and His work, not even your business. Roll away the reproach of the enemy so that you can be free, unfettered, filled with the fire of God and totally surrendered and totally sold out to God and his cause. God's looking for people like that. <clears throat> You're allowed to volunteer in this service this morning to be amongst them. Euphoria in the camp. And I'm saying that there were celebrations in the camp. Um, particularly as they <clears throat> uh, experienced the first great victory. And it was a great, great victory, the conquest of Jericho. Tremendous celebrations. That was an awesome city. I've been there. Some of you have been there too and seen the relics, the remains, the broad, broad walls that could allow two or three chariots to run abreast drawn by horses. Even houses were built on the walls. They were so wide, so wide, and they were so high. In fact, the uh, Jerichoites were so confident that they said to the Israelites when they came, you know, you'll never get in here. You can try, but <laughs> you know, uh, uh, you will never get in. This is a fortification without equal. You can throw at us what you like, and you can you can uh, make all your boasting. Neither you nor your God can ever get in here to disturb our peace. But how wrong they were. Remember how they were told to walk around the walls once for six days and then the seventh day they were to walk around seven times and then blow the trumpets? And uh, something awesome happened. There was no uh, trick of man's engineering in this. It was all of God. There was a terrible, I'm sure, loud sound as the angels of God and as the activity of God began to operate. And those walls all collapsed. They fell out. And uh, the children of Israel invaded or stepped inside 
and then there was a great overthrow of the city. Um, the city would have been um, many, many times um, uh, enlarged by the number of people that came from the outside to be safe. So there were a lot of people inside. And there was a great, um, a great battle and a great victory. It was awesome. What God had promised actually happened. God always keeps his promise. And the things we can't even imagine, God can do. Like the old chorus says, God, any mountains that you can't tunnel through? God, any rivers you can't cross over? God specializes in things thought impossible. He can do what nobody else can do, and he can. I don't know what you're facing, what Jericho there's in your life, or what Jericho's ahead of you a little way, but God is bigger than Jericho and stronger than those strong walls. And he can deliver you. And he will. If you ask him and trust him and let him. This was to be the beginning of their story. The beginning of their conquest. This was to be the victory. That would mark every step. Every mile or kilometer. Every, every, every day. Every time they went. This was to be really uh, uh, the, the Rubicon. This was the beginning of days. God was going to do this all through these next years for them if they would um, keep rightly related to him and trust God. It would be victory, victory, victory all the time. Sadly, that's not the case in the church as it wasn't the case with the children of Israel at that time. But I'm saying, just to emphasize this point, there was great celebration and it was with good reason. They were praising the Lord, lifting up their hands in thanksgiving and in celebration and in uh, glorifying the Lord. Lord, you did this. Lord, you delivered us. <coughs> and the, 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 their faith got a tremendous boost. You know when God gives you a deliverance, it gives you a great boost. It gives you a tremendous lift. You can trust God for anything. At that time, because you see the hand of God. Operative. On your behalf. Very important, you know, when God answers your prayers, that God, uh, that you give God thanks. Uh, our little grandson Tom, he has um, come with his family from England, and um, he was transferring or planning to transfer to a new school, and he applied for four, and he was turned down with all of them. Um, from all of them, and uh, he was very, very broken-hearted, and we were broken-hearted with him. And the school that he wanted to go, there seemed to be zero possibility of that ever happening. We prayed. We prayed, and we actually went to the school. My wife and I prayed inside the gate and said, Lord, you know, you said every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given thee. And we said, Lord, we want our grandson to go to this school. And he had zero hope of getting a placement there. And God worked in a way that I can't tell you the details of in a remarkable way. And he got that placement uh, before he went on holidays. And he was so happy about it. God can do amazing things for you. And I'm saying every time he answers prayer, it will boost your faith for the future. And also you need to remember to give praise and thanks to, to the Lord. 
Remember, there's only 10% out of 100 that remember to give thanks. One leper out of 10 came back and said, Lord, you healed me of my leprosy. And he fell down on his feet and he said, I want to thank you. I will always remember what you did for me. I praise you. You're awesome. But Jesus said, "Uh, where are the other nine? And I ask here, where are the other nine? When did you ever thank God? And I say to the young people in the service, you remember to thank your mom and dad for what they do for you. You never take anything for granted. There's a whole lot of people in the world who would like to be where you are and to have what you have. Stop your grumbling and your complaining. Be grateful. And dear men and women, brothers and sisters, be grateful to God. The children of Israel were not grateful. They complained, grumbled, and God hates grumbling. If you grumble, you're a backslider. If you're grumbling, there's no faith in you. You're not in touch with God. If you're a grumbler, you are sinning, I'm saying. Oh, you say that's extreme. Not a bit of it. When you grumble, you're opening the door to the devil. And that happened every time to Israel whenever they grumbled and complained. But when you praise the Lord, you get another blessing. A whole sack full of them, indeed. So... There was euphoria in the camp. There was celebration in the camp. And I'll come to the sad chapter when I speak of there was defeat in the camp of God's people. And I have to say there is defeat in the camp of God that we call the church at the present time. All over the United Kingdom and the United States, all over the world, there is an all-time low of apostasy, backsliding, forsaking our first love, neglecting prayer, and embracing the world and compromising the things of God. Oh, you say you're in a very negative mood this morning. I'm not. I'm explaining what's in this passage. Something bad happened, and I want you to see it, and I want you to avoid it, and I want you to pray and do what God wants you to do so that we can get out of the mess. The church is in a mess. It needs to be fixed, and you and God can do that. You can do that if you allow God to do his part. So this is where we come to the uh, text here. Um, The children of Israel, they enjoyed this first great victory. And as I said, that's how it was meant to be all the time. But something happened in Jericho that put a stain Uh, on the victory, and that uh, put the brakes on, on God's operation, and it regarded, it related to Achan. He did not just touch the accursed thing, he coveted it, and he put his hands out, and he took it. We'll talk about that in a moment. And, um, when they went to do battle against the city of Ai, 
it seemed like it was going to be a cakewalk. It seemed like there were 40,000 that uh, turned up for the battle at Jericho. That's a lot of people, 40,000. And they said, uh, two or 3,000 will be enough. It's a small place, small city. And, uh, you know, we'll, um, we'll be able to um, take it with that kind of number. No point in everybody getting weary, climbing up the hillside or the mountain. Uh, let's, let's just send a few, enough to do the job. Because God's going to work for us. But God didn't work for them. When you are not walking in fellowship with God, you're on your own. When you're breaking the covenant or the commandments of God, you are on your own. When you're not in fellowship with God and rightly related to Him, you're on your own. You forfeit the presence of God. And that is of inestimable, I say, cost and loss. Imagine. They went up to Ai and they... Same men that fought in Jericho, same swords in their scabbards, they had the same strength, and they had the same zeal, um, by and large. And when they started to fight, they discovered that their arms were weak. Doesn't say that, but they were not able to overpower the Aites. They were not able to get the victory. Thirty-six men lost their lives. That may not be a big number in um, human terms with these wars that were being fought, but one loss from the camp of God's army is a huge loss. And I'm saying that um, they were ashamed, humiliated. I say they were defeated, trampled upon, their morale was down uh, at ground zero. They were, they were uh, uh, um, distressed. I thought the Lord was going to give us victory upon victory upon victory. And here, the second time we go to battle, we lost. But the fault was not God's. God knows what is going on in your life, in your home. He knows what's going on in the church, knows what's going on in your business, knows what's going on in the community. He knows everything. Nothing is hidden from him. He's all-seeing, all-knowing. It's a serious matter. And there was one man who bore the brunt of the blame. But first of all, Joshua... He's broken, a broken man. Joshua, he was anointed the leader. The Lord told him to go forward every place. I quoted that verse earlier, that the sole of your foot shall tread upon that of a given to you. And it's not happening at Ai. It's not happening at Ai. Why is it not happening at Ai? Something is wrong. There is sin in the camp. But here, Joshua's on his face, and he's crying. I can hear his sobs, Lord, I never expected this to happen. Lord, you told us we would never be shamed, that they, our enemies would never get the better of us, that we would win and overcome and we would possess the land. Lord, 
What has gone wrong? What, what, what is the matter? Lord, when the, the, the enemy nations hear about what's happening, they're going to come in and they're going to destroy us. I told you that was the first time that is ever recorded. The first time, in fact, in the whole lifetime of Joshua that he got discouraged, broken, that he, he lost confidence. And, and he did what many did in the wilderness. It would have been better, Lord, if we had not left Egypt. That's an awful thing to say. That's like saying, I would have been better not to have got saved. That's like saying, I'm sorry, I'm a Christian. I feel God has forsaken me. Let me down there. And I'll never recover. That's a very, very shameful and serious thing to allow to come out of your mouth or into your mind even, really. And so he's weeping, and he probably was there for a while. I'm sure he was there for longer than a half an hour. He was there maybe for several hours, crying, crying to God. Explain yourself, Lord. Why has this happened? And the Lord showed up. And he said, Joshua, stop praying. Stop praying. Get up of that with you. There's sin in the camp. Someone has sinned in the accursed thing. And the accursed thing really had to do with the consecrated thing. Before the battle of Jericho, God said to the people, all the valuables in Jericho are consecrated to me. They're my property. All the gold and silver, all the precious things, all that was savable or salvageable, they are mine, God was saying. So that meant if you touched them or took them, you were taking God's property. He said, someone has sinned in the accursed thing. And unless this matter is put right, I'll not be with you anymore. We cannot put sin under the carpet. Wrongdoing cannot be um, ignored. Even though it's small. If it's small enough to trouble your conscience, it needs to be repented of, dealt with, put away. And even sometimes, if you're not completely aware of it, you need to ask God to bring to your mind anything, anything that may be present in your life or your walk with him or your ministry for him that is not satisfactory or pleasing to God. <clears throat> the accursed thing. There that day, the day of the battle, I don't know if it was morning or afternoon or maybe toward the end of the day, probably... Um, some of the fighting men, uh, when they had uh, taken possession of the city, probably, probably, they were lifting things and carrying them out, uh, side, outside the city, maybe to a tent, so that they could be um, uh, catalogued, so that the list could be made of them, what belonged to um, um, the Lord and um, uh, the Levites. And maybe it was in that process that um, maybe Achan, he didn't take the goods that he, he, he discovered. 
uh, to where he should have brought them. It would be very difficult to do that without maybe being noticed. But maybe, maybe it was that way. And uh, I could even suggest to you that Achan, in order to, he, he, he saw gold and he saw a lot of silver coins and he saw this garment which could well have been the uh, royal robe of the, um, the king of Jericho. Something like that. And he wanted them. He looked at them. He said, you know, I've always been a poor man. This would set me up. I'd like that coat. I'd like that suit of clothes. I'd like that garment. I must have it. I want that money. I, 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 I need it. I need that money. I could buy more goats or sheep or cattle with it. I could educate my children. I could do A, B, C, D, E, F, and G if I had that money. So he says, by hook or by crook, I'm going to take it. The devil anesthetized his conscience. Has your conscience ever been anesthetized to sin? You do wrong and you're not, you don't realize you're doing it. You convince yourself it's not wrong. It's not evil. I'm allowed. None of us here in this house, including the man who's talking to you just now, has a license to do wrong. There's nobody here that can do what they want to do. There are those sometimes who actually hide behind their theology. They say, I can, I can do what I like and it's going to work out all right for me. It's all taken care of. I have read the word of God 40 times through and more and I haven't found that anywhere. You cannot do what you like. You cannot live as you please. You are accountable to God. And if you're, if you're to walk with God and if you're to enjoy God's presence, you must live a clean, godly, obedient, submitted and committed life. There's no half measures. Sorry, sorry, you can't have God's presence on the cheap. Sorry, you can't have God's favor and you can't have uh, the joys of his, his, his blessings on the cheap. No, you cannot. They're all conditional. And I did read at the very beginning, God said emphatically, the accursed thing, don't touch it. Don't touch it. It's consecrated. It belongs to me. If, you're touch, if you touch it or take it, you're taking my property. And can you imagine stealing from God? That question is posed actually in the book of Malachi, uh, chapter 3. Can a man rob God? And God says, you have robbed me. And wherein have ye robbed me? Uh, in tithes and in offerings. We can rob God. We can put our hand in God's pocket and steal from him. In Africa, there's a widespread problem with dishonesty. And sometimes when the pastor's getting it tough, he may not have a wage or much of a wage, and he borrows money from the offering. And he says, I'll pay this back. Um, next month, but he never does. I remember in, in one of the churches I pastored, 
young man lost out with God. He'd been in eldership, or he was a deacon, a leader, and uh, unknown to us, he was gambling. He spent all his wages gambling, and when he lifted the offering, he would sneak somehow, somehow, some of the money into his pocket. Imagine, in the church, in the church. God is not blind. We must not touch what doesn't belong to us. We must not steal from God. We must not steal from our neighbor. We must not even covet what our neighbor has, either his motor car or his fields or his wealth or his his clothes or the house that he lives in. No, that's not right. We're holy men and women of God. We have consecrated ourselves to the Lord, so we are different. We should look different, we should talk different, think different, and live different. And this people of whom I am speaking now, talking about the the nation of Israel, were different. Different from all the tribes and nations of the world. Different, different, I tell you, different. They were to be a peculiar people, and it was the holiness of God and the presence of God in their lives that was to make that difference. Absolutely. Oh, dear men and women, see Achan gathering up the stuff. See him stuffing it up his long garment. Ah, did he have a long garment when he was fighting? Did he leave down his sword? Did he ask a servant, carry this out, bring it to my tent? What, what did he do? Did he never expect, did he never expect God to find out or God to pull him up on this? Did he never expect he would be discovered and that he would be shamed? And you know, um, when he got into his tent, he dug a hole. He couldn't have done that by himself. He dug a hole in which to hide or bury the booty. Little did he know the hole that he was digging was going to be like his grave. He was actually digging his grave. When you are hiding digging a hole and hiding stuff from God or, 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 or doing wrong and pretending you'll never be found out. You're digging your own grave. You are um, actually checkering your own future and that of your family. You're bringing the curse of God on you. To touch that accursed thing brings the cur- a curse, brings the curse of death and disease and poverty, and pain, and shame, and the lack of God's presence. That's an awful cost. Oh, dear men and women, please, 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 don't consider it. David committed adultery with Bathsheba. He should have been on the battlefield with Joab and and, um, his troops. But he was at home, going about his house with Uh, his slippers on, so to speak, dressed in his casual clothes like he was on holidays at the seaside. And he looked over his balcony. Now the sin was as much the fault of Bathsheba as it was his, but he sinned with Bathsheba. He committed adultery. And um, Bathsheba became pregnant 
and the child was birthed and died. But for 13 months, David hid that, that situation, that crime. In the process, he instigated the death of Uriah the Hittite, very faithful and good man, <clears throat> very loyal to David, imagine. He put him where he should not have been on the battlefront, and he was killed. He was guilty of manslaughter as well as an adulterer. For 13 months, he thought, nobody will ever know. Nobody will ever find this out. But you know what? There wasn't in a, bone, a bone in his body that wasn't rattled. There wasn't a nerve in his whole constitution that wasn't paining him. His conscience was eating him up. He was a broken man. I would say many a night he went to bed and he couldn't sleep, and maybe he didn't sleep for weeks and months at a time. I would say that very often when the food was set down on the table in front of him, he pushed it back, he couldn't eat. The power of conscience is an awful power. This man, I'm saying he was hiding his sin from God. But everybody knew there's something wrong. This man's not the same as he was. This man, uh, there's something going on in his life. There was, big time. And remember Jonah, another Old Testament character. God said, Jonah, you're a gifted preacher. And you're my prophet, my servant. I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to be a missionary there to the Ninevites, and I want you to bring thousands, tens of thousands of them to faith in me. You need to pack up and go now. And Jonah said in his heart, I'm going to do nothing of the kind. Those people deserve to go to hell. They've killed members of my family. They've killed a lot of Israelites. They have raided our towns and cities. They've stolen our... They deserve to go to hell. They deserve judgment. God said, you must go, Jonah. He said, I'm not going. And he packed his sticks, but he went in the opposite direction. He got board, on board a ship heading to Spain. He thought that God wouldn't know where he was going. He thought that God wouldn't find out. I say God knows you're down sitting and you're uprising. He knows your thoughts are far off. You cannot hide from God. And the wrongs that you do and your efforts to cover them up, I say they're all futile and a waste of time. God caught up with his man very quickly. Ananias and Sapphira. They were very in a very benevolent mood that a piece of land, and they said, we're going to sell it and give all the money to God. I think they spoke too quick. We'll give it all to God, and we'll give it all to help to feed the poor widows in Jerusalem and to help this humanitarian crisis that has arisen since the revival came. <clears throat> and sold the property, maybe got more money for it than he thought. And he could have said, now, uh, I want to give a portion of this to God. I want to give uh, 50% or I want to give uh, 75% or 25%. But he brought the bag of money to the temple and he said to Peter, Hallelujah, Peter. Isn't it great to be saved? And he said, uh, my promise. He said, I sold the land and here's all the money. All the money. And Peter said, all the money, Ananias? Are you not economical with the truth? Are you lying against the Holy Ghost? 
He said, you'll never get away with it. And the man took a, something like a, a heart uh, seizure. And he fell down dead at his feet. And his wife, Sapphira, came in uh, an hour afterwards, something like that. And she said, where's, where's, my, where's the man of God I'm married to? I've come in to, to, to um, say how glad we are to be able to give all the... Did you give... Is it this much money that you are giving? And is that all of it? That's all of it? He said, the men that buried your husband an hour ago, they're waiting at the door to bury you too. They thought they would never be find, found out. How can you lie to the Holy Ghost and get away with it? How can you lie to God and, and, and cover up your tracks and think that nobody will find out? My dear friends, it cannot be done. Cannot be done. Here's a man who thought he could get away with it. He was imagining himself walking down the middle of the tribes, his own tribe of Judah, with this king's robe on him, be studded with jewels and gold and silver. He says, why? I'd be like the mayor. I'd be even like a king, he said. And people would be envious of me. I'd feel real good with myself doing that, would you? With a stolen garment and with God's money in your pocket? How could you be happy? How could you sleep in your bed? How could you educate your children with stolen money? Or buy a house and furniture with stolen money? No, never. (coughs) My dear brothers and sisters, choose rather to be poor. Choose rather to eat bread and water. Choose rather to live in a little shack or a tent than to steal from God or anybody else and to live an opulent life. Are you hearing me? They brought a curse. Achan brought a curse on the camp of God's people. And he was responsible for the death of 36 people. Did I say 36? How many members were in his family? How many children did he have? It seemed that it was like his extended family that were all actually uh, involved in the wrongdoing. There could have been another 36 or more (laughs) that were involved in this. And when Joshua began to make search and brought tribe by tribe by tribe and family by family in each tribe, first the tribe of Judah was chosen and then the family of um, Abdi and Carmi, which was Achan's family, connection was chosen, and then the finger pointed at him. He, he didn't come out, uh, you know, to the front and say, oh, please don't go through all this. I'm the one. He could have stopped that, uh, saved a lot of time, clearly, but he didn't do that. And he was actually found out, and it was a most humiliating disclosure from him. And then when he was found out, he said, I'm the guilty one. There was no uh, virtue in that for him. He only admitted his wrong when he was found out. But it was too late. And the punishment and the penalty was very severe. He was taken and his whole family into the valley of Achor, and they were stoned to death. 
and there was a heap of stones put on top of them. And that event and that monument of stones was remembered for a long, long, long time, always associated with Achan, the one who disturbed and who brought shame and grief to the people of God. But I want to tell you the, 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 the um, severe dealing with sin on this occasion pleased God. You cannot be soft on sin or wrongdoing. You cannot excuse sin or wrongdoing. You know one sin could hinder prayer being answered. One sin could hinder revival coming. One sin, I'm saying, could bring defeat to the vast camp of the children of Israel as it did at Ai. One sin. Can you imagine? And we must be severe and we must be ruthless and we must be serious when we are dealing with sin. I want you to know when you are serious about sin in your life or your family or your business, God will bless you. God will bless you. God will say, there's a man after my own heart. There's a man who who loves me and the man who wants to obey my commandments. And he wants to honor me. And so I say, dear people of God, as I conclude... God can only send revival when we pray. Yes. God can only send revival when we repent and repent deeply. God can only send revival when we admit our sinning and wrongdoing. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways. God says, then I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. We must deal with the issue of sin. We must not hide or harbor sin. We must bring it out to the light. We must bring it to the judgment seat of Christ. We need to bring it to the fountain filled with blood. We need to repent of it. Brothers and sisters, can I humbly ask you, are you right with the other members of the family of God? Are you right with them? Is there anybody Anybody in your circle of family or friends or acquaintances to whom you do not speak? Anybody who has wronged you or you have wronged them and you will not be reconciled? There are some people today in the church and they're in very, very bad health. And they've been in bad health for maybe 10 years because they have had an unforgiving spirit. They refuse to forgive. Forgive. 
remember the instance that Jesus mentioned in what we call the Sermon on the Mount. I think it's in chapter 7 of Matthew. Jesus said, when you come to the altar and there you remember that your brother has ought against you. He said, leave the altar. Stop praying. Stop praying. Prayer doesn't atone for sins. Prayer doesn't cover and blot out wrongdoing. Prayer is our link with God. He said, stop praying. First, go and be reconciled. Be reconciled to your brother. And sometimes that is as hard to do as to fight the battle with the people of Ai all over again. Oh, brothers and sisters, unforgiveness. You know, unforgiveness is one great mountain that blocks revival. I would say without any hesitation of being contradicted, in every evangelical congregation across the whole of the United Kingdom, let's say Northern Ireland, there are a bunch of people who are carrying a burden of unforgiveness about in their heart for years. Unforgiveness. It might be over land and property. It might be over relationship within the family. It might be over, you know, matters that do, has to do with their job, their work, their business. It might have to do with uh, something that went wrong in the church. They were passed over, didn't get promotion or get the job that they'd wanted. They expected to be the Sunday school superintendent or maybe a Sunday school teach passed over. They said, oh, <laughs> if that's the kind of Christians that are here... I wouldn't really want to be in heaven with them. And bitterness. Unforgiveness can turn into bitterness and resentfulness and revenge. But dear people, there is such a thing. That is, if you want to be healed and released, and if you want to be changed, there's such a thing as repentance. You can repent. You can acknowledge your sin. And you can come to the fountain that's filled with Emmanuel's blood. Wouldn't you like to be healed? And you know, instead of adding 10 years to your life, I mean subtracting 10 years from your life, you can add 10 or 20 years to your life. And it could be even in an evangelical congregation like this that there's somebody... who on a daily or weekly basis they're logging into their laptop or their iPhone into a pornographic website and you're feasting your eyes on things that are obnoxious to God and they're off the Richter scale of common decency. You're a married man with maybe a small family and you're addicted to pornography. Nobody, nobody, nobody knows about it except you, God. God knows about it. Does that not trouble you? Does that not trouble you? It might shock you to realize that there could be as many as 60 or 70 or more percent of men throughout the United Kingdom and the United States, addicted 
at some level or extent or other to pornography? Is it right? No. Is it sinful? Absolutely. Is it obnoxious to God? Totally, totally, totally. Can it hinder answers to my prayers? Yes, of course. Can it hinder revival? Absolutely. Absolutely. We must get rid of all the tomfoolery and all the misconceptions. We cannot sin and enjoy the presence of God. Tell me, do you enjoy the presence of God? Day by day by day, do you walk with God? Can two walk together except to be agreed? Are you in fellowship with the king? Oh, my brothers and sisters, it might surprise you to know the number of Christians who actually go to um, somebody connected to the occult in order to be charmed for a heart condition, ringworm, a sprained wrist or ankle, or some other condition. There are many such people as this all over the countryside, and they're well known. And there are people who go to them and pay a small sum of money, and they get, they, they get a, a, a ritual spoken over them uh, with a view to them being healed. And many of them get healed by the devil, I say. Healed by the power of the devil. And when you come into the prayer meeting and you have been to an occultist or you have been, you've come into the prayer meeting and you've been to somebody's house who has got these charms, they read maybe your tea leaves. I remember as a child going with some friends to a home and they, they, they took the cup after tea had been drunk and they, the fortune was told from the tea leaves. I was not... Uh, in any way participating in what, but I remember seeing it and hearing it. I want you to know that these simple, what might be called simple, they're not simple at all. They're very serious aspects of the occult. They are bringing a curse into the house of God. A curse and a block, a blockage into the prayer meeting. They are hindering revival. We should cleanse our hands and our hearts and our homes and get into the right with God. Is there sin in the camp? Is there sin in the camp? I could mention 100 things here today but not touch upon what is actually your problem. But I want you to know whatever it is, it needs to be fixed. It'll take you to an early grave. It has robbed you of your peace of mind. It has robbed you of the presence of God and the favor and blessing of God. And what price could you put on that? Stop praying and get the matters put right with whoever, whoever, whoever is involved. I remember hearing about a man that got converted in a mission conducted by Willie Honeyman. Many of you knew him. Worked around this area for some period. I think the man he, I'm talking about now came from around Stuart's time. He got wonderfully converted. And he realized he had done wrong in his life. 
He had taken a lot of money or property that didn't belong to him, but he got it and uh, nobody knew about it. But when he got saved, he realized I've done wrong. This is, this is, this is a serious issue and, and it's, it's annoying me. And he sold a farm of land or a part of a farm of land and uh, fetched quite a, quite a sum of money, maybe several hundred thousands of pounds, to pay back what he had done wrong. I know a young man uh, in Banbridge, and he was in my home the other night with his family for supper. And when he got saved, for many years he'd been in business, and he cheated the government, it seemed, out of tens of thousands of pounds. Tens of thousands of pounds. And he said when he, he had got away from God, he had backslidden, and he realized about the seriousness of what he had done in the past, and he couldn't get peace. He said, I want to be in the clear with God, and even though I have no house to live in, even though it costs me everything I have, he had a wife and two children, four children actually, um, he said, I'm going to go through with God. And he put everything on the table, put everything on God's altar. And he paid the government, I think, a huge, huge sum of money. They were shocked. The government were shocked. But the joy and the blessing of God that flowed in that dear brother's life after that was beyond words. If we um, have done wrong and we refuse to put it right, there's coming a day when we'll stand in the presence of God and everything will be on the table that day. The books will be opened. Nothing will be hidden. So you either deal with it now or it'll come out to the light on another day. The choice is yours. With Achan, the matter had to be dealt with because it brought a curse to the camp of Israel and it was going to destroy God's whole program of giving the 12 tribes their inheritance. And that's why there was such a, an extreme uh, sentence of judgment passed. I can see the stones being thrown. I can hear the screams even of the children on that occasion, even of the children. And for a long time, I've already told you, the monument was there. Please don't be leaving monuments around to your wrongdoing. Some years ago, I built a church in Banbridge and when I dug the foundations, one day a lorry drove in and a man jumped out. He said, uh, uh, Mr. Edgerton, um, I deal with sand. He says, can I give you a load of sand to start off your building? I said, I'd be highly grateful to you if you want to do that. I say, thank you. Thank you very much. And I said, um, maybe you will continue supplying us and invoicing me for what we need to build the church. And that's how it was. But after the church was built, I heard a rumor going around 
that my church got a load of sand from a, a dealer but never paid for it. I said, excuse me, the man that told me was a leading man in the community. I said, you heard that? And I told him my side of the story. I said, that, that, that's not true. But I said, I'll tell you this. I said, before the sun sets this evening, I'll be on that man's doorstep with a letter of apology and with a check. I would not allow my name, my testimony, or the testimony of the church to be brought into ill repute. And I went to the man's house and I said, I'm so sorry. There must be misunderstanding. I owe you for a load of sand that uh, was delivered when I started to dig foundations for a new church. And he smiled. He said, you owe me nothing, he said. Nothing. He said, if a man cannot give a brother uh, a lorry load of sand for a good cause, building of a church, he said, he's no good. He said, absolutely not. Somebody had spread the rumor. But I did not know whether it was true or otherwise. I said, please. I said, I must, I must pay. I must. He said, I refuse. That's why I had to, I had to leave. So I'm saying, you're better to be sure than to be culpable and to get into the clear with God. I don't want anything in my life or in my ministry to hinder God working in Northern Ireland in the bringing of revival, which we desperately, desperately, desperately need. I don't want anything in my life that will hinder my prayers being answered. I believe in prayer and I spend a lot of time in prayer. I don't want my prayers to be answered, my time to be wasted. Because there's sin in my life, something not dealt with. I would never like to be the one that's hindering God in doing what he wants to do. Time is short. And as our brother mentioned at the beginning, the coming of the Lord is at the door. And we need to get our lives not just cleaned up, but get our lives into a right relationship with God. We need to get our, our families and our homes into a right relationship with God. And we need to get the house of God into a right perspective also. Are you hearing the word of God? Have you unfinished, unsettled business of a kind? I say to you, my brother, my sister, whatever it costs you, whatever it costs you, whatever it costs you, it'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. Please. Please go through with God. Obey God. Do not be the Achan in 2021 in the church of Jesus Christ in Northern Ireland. If it costs us a right hand or a right eye, let's pay the price and do the right thing. Father, 
bless your word, spoken in weakness. Bless your word to this lovely congregation of people, young and old or older. You know our hearts. There's nothing, nothing, nothing hidden. Nothing hidden. Nothing hidden. Lord, meet with us today. Make today a red letter day in our lives. We want to be sure, Lord. We want to be sure. 100% that we're in the clear. So that we can take not only the city of Ai for God, but all the other cities that are strongholds of demonism and idolatry and wickedness. We want to see Jesus Christ marching in victory throughout the land. Our King and our Captain, we want to see you triumph. Oh, wonderful, wonderful Jehovah. Have your way, I pray. Please have your way in our lives today. Whatever it costs, we repeat, it will be worth it, Lord. It will be worth it. In the context of what's left of our lives and in the context of eternity, it will be infinitely, infinitely worth it. Bless your people and may the word of God continue to grip us and minister to us in a deeply spiritual way. We pray giving thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.